Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 14th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. And in the spoiler room later, we'll be discussing the problems and the ending of The Predator and how it changed from its original script. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, guys, we only got a little bit of news today before we get into the spoiler room goodness. Uh, l- let's start things off with a story that broke while we were on the podcast yesterday. And if you heard the, the, the tail end of the podcast, you heard my reaction as I learned that Aaron Paul, star of Breaking Bad, has been cast in Westworld Season 3. Ben, what do we know? That's kind of all we know. We know that Aaron Aaron Paul is going to be a series regular in se- uh, season three of Westworld. We don't know if he's going to be involved in more seasons beyond that, if it's sort of a one and done thing just for season three. Uh, we don't even know what kind of character he's going to be playing, if he's going to be a human or an android, you know, a host character. Uh, yeah, as you might expect, Westworld is keeping things pretty close to the vest there. That's um, a show that is obviously built very much on mysteries and things like that. So I'm not remotely surprised that they didn't just come out and say what kind of character Aaron Paul is going to be. And I also wouldn't even be surprised if he is presented one way in the beginning of the show. And then, you know, there's some sort of big reveal about his character, the nature of his character as the the series progresses. So um, I don't know. It's it's a very threadbare uh, announcement, but I'm personally I'm really mad at this because (laughs) I pretty much swore off this show after season two which I was not a fan of and I really like Aaron Paul as an actor so his presence might be enough to bring me back and and force me to hate watch all of season three which is an experience I was expecting to just skip over and pleasantly go on with the rest of my life without thinking about Westworld again but uh, I don't know we'll we'll see what happens but what do you guys think about this? I, I don't know. Um, you know, I can't even imagine what kind of character he's going to play. I mean, I could totally see him as a character in Westworld, like an actual like Western character. Not that, you know, the show is going to be taking place all primarily in that world. Um, I don't know. Chris, what do you think? 
I, I think he's he's probably going to be someone outside of the park. He just strikes me as too modern. I mean, I know Westworld isn't set in the past, really, but Westworld itself is a very past-oriented place. You know, it's you meant could, to you be. You couldn't see him as like a young guns kind of like outlaw character. I don't know. Maybe I'm just so used to him on Breaking Bad, where he's so modern and. Uh, you know, ever, when I've seen him in person, like I, I you know, I, I saw him at Comic Con where he was talking. He pretty much talks exactly like he talked on Breaking Bad. He has that very <laughs> modern way of speaking. So I can't really picture him being like an old timey cowboy. But you know, I don't know. But I can't also picture him being like one of the guys in Church of Delos or anything. Do you know what I mean? Like he's kind of, I mean, he often plays kind of fuck ups on <laughs> TV and film. Uh, what, what kind of role do you see him in in this uh, this Nolan series? I I really don't know. I mean, uh, the you know, bruh, Westworld ended on such a strange note last season. I I don't even know what they're gonna do <laughs> this new season. But I could easily see him as someone just in the you know the the outside world who maybe works for the company or maybe, you know, knows someone who works for the company. I don't know. I, it really depends on how big his part is going to be. I mean, I feel like he's a big enough actor that they wouldn't cast him for like a small part. So I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be a major part, but I really don't know. It could be interesting to see him play like an Elon Musk type, like some sort of a rival technological developer to Delos. Um, that might be interesting. And, and yeah, and in the broadest sense without really yeah, I mean, we, anything we, about... We don't know who is trying to steal Delos's intellectual property. So, I mean, you could be onto something. Yeah, yeah. And and I was just going to say in the broadest sense, like we don't, uh, without spoiling anything, this the second season ends in a way where uh, the quote-unquote real world is definitely going to play a much larger role in the next season. So I think the odds are probably in favor of him playing just like a regular run-of-the-mill human character instead of a host or maybe a Dallas employee. So yeah, we'll have to see what happens. For sure. Uh, let's move on to the box office. We'll start off first with The Predator, which comes out this weekend. And, uh, you know, guys, with all like this... Uh, you know, the buzz coming off the earlier reviews not being that high and, you know, there was kind of like uh, the production, I want to say problems, like they reshot the entire ending of the film, which we'll we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, I didn't think that they were going to make that much money. I thought this was going to be kind of uh, a, a failure for Fox, but uh, apparently not. Chris, tell us about it. Oh uh, yeah, early early tracking indicates that uh, first of all, this will definitely win the weekend. Uh, it's it's going to beat pretty much everything else opening this weekend, and it's also uh, on track to make somewhere between twenty five and thirty two million opening weekend. And if it does, that'll make it the highest opening weekend for any Predator film ever. Um, you know, the others weren't bombs; they just didn't do this well. So, uh, you know. 30, 32 million isn't exactly, you know, a whopping number, but it's it's very good. And, you know, all, all signs indicate this is going to be a hit of some kind. Well, whether or not that drops off the second weekend is uh, remains to be seen. Yeah. Another bit of uh, box office tracking that uh, broke today is that Venom, which is officially rated PG-13, is being tracking is tracking to open opening to a much higher figure than I thought i mean i i don't know anybody on this world that is excited for this movie uh but ben tell us how how big of an opening weekend is venom likely to have 
Yeah, so right now the the latest tracking numbers suggest that it could open anywhere between 60 to 70 million dollars for its opening weekend. So that's um, a pretty huge number. Uh, I mean, as Chris was just saying, 30 million is sort of like so-so, but 60 to 70 million, for especially for a movie like this that has... I mean, it, the marketing for this movie has just been baffling all around. I cannot, I still cannot believe that that turd in the wind line is actually something that made the cut and that they were proud enough of to put in the actual trailer for the movie. Um, I, I, and like you were saying, Peter, I, I just don't know who this movie appeals to outside of like 12 year old boys. But, uh, but I don't know, maybe there's like a whole swath of people out there that we just are, you know, that are not in our circles that are really jazzed about a, a full Venom movie. Uh, but yeah, this movie, has I don't even also... think this looks cool to 12 year old boys. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, I, not that I know. I don't know, man. I, this one, this is completely baffling to me. And also just, uh, to tack on to the Venom thing, um, that we know that now that the movie is officially rated PG 13. So there was some, uh, there's been a lot of back and forth about whether it's going to, it was going to be an R rated movie or go to PG 13. Uh, Eric Davis from Fandango says that he's hearing from his studio sources that the reason is that um, Venom and Spider-Man might face off at some point down the line. So if you give him uh, an R rating in his first solo movie, it's hard to, you know, uh, sort of downgrade quote unquote to a PG 13 later on when you've already established this character as like, you know, a Deadpool or Logan type, uh, you know, somebody with a foul mouth and who's biting off people's heads on screen. I guess all that stuff is going to happen off screen now because this movie is going to be PG-13. But I, yeah, this this whole thing, this entire movie seems like a, a mess to me. So I'm I'm shocked that it's tracking as well as it is. Yeah, I'm shocked. I mean, this is like Ant-Man and the Wasp type opening weekend numbers, which were pretty good. Um, Chris, do, do you know anybody that is excited to see this movie? No, I, uh, I I have no idea who wants to see this. I really don't. And <sighs> I don't know. I, I'm wondering if this is going to be like a, uh, incorrect because I remember Solo was tracking really well too. And then it ended up opening below expectations. So I'm wondering if this tracking is not accurate and it's, you know, the actual total is going to be a lot lower, but I don't know, man. Uh, you know, I can only speak for myself, but this looks terrible. It doesn't look even like slightly good. And the fact that it, there seems to be positive buzz about it is, is shocking, but you know, to each their own, maybe there are people out there who are really excited for venom, but I'm not one of them. I think somebody at the playlist said that this movie reminds them a lot of like the, the uh, superhero movies from the early two thousands, like a, like a daredevil type of thing. Yeah. And I thought that was a really astute comparison. Like that, that's exactly what this looks like is a movie from, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. But like, I, as I mentioned, I, with AMC a list, I'm seeing a lot of movies in theaters with trailers now. And every time that this trailer for venom comes up on screen, at least someone in the audience makes a like, wildly vocal making fun of the movie uh you know joke during the trailer like i don't know it just seems to be mocked by everybody uh but maybe maybe you know maybe we're stuck in our film twitter bubble and also you know i'm ben and i are stuck in our la bubble which is another bubble on itself of the film community uh so i don't know maybe we just aren't uh in tune with what's going on in middle America. I'm curious if anybody out there is super excited to see Venom. Uh, tell us why. S send us an email at peter at slash film.com. I, I would be interested to hear uh, your reasonings why you think this movie 
uh, doesn't look like crap. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, let's move on to our, our, our fa- final news story. And uh, this news story, I guess, might have spoilers for Solo Star Wars story. So if you care about that, uh, you might want to skip ahead or turn off now. But uh, basically, the co-writer of the movie, John Kasdan, took to Twitter and revealed a bunch of facts about the making of the film and uh, there was also some concept art revealed. Uh, Chris, you wrote this up for the site. Uh, why don't you tell us uh, the most interesting bits of info we got from uh, this, like, I think it's like a six-page document or something. It's a lot. Yeah, there are, there are 52 facts total here, and uh, some are more interesting than others. But overall, it, it's neat because he said, uh, John Kazan said on Twitter that, you know, this is basically his version of a commentary track, you know, the, the solo uh, Blu-ray slash digital release, unfortunately does not come with a commentary track. So this is, this is the next best thing. And that's kind of cool. Um, there's a lot of talk of uh, other influences here. He brings up Michael Mann movies at least twice. So Michael Mann apparently played a big part in influence, influencing how they approached uh, solo specifically the, um, so Michael Paul- Mann influenced both the dark Knight and solo star Wars story. <laughs> He influences everything, really. <laughs> but um, uh, specifically, they talk about how Paul Bentney's character is heavily influenced by um, the the quote unquote villain in Michael Mann's Thief. And I actually hadn't made that connection, but now that I've read him say that, I actually totally see where he's coming from with that. And uh, also, they they said uh, Woody Harrelson's character is modeled on Robert De Niro's character in Heat, which I really don't see at all. But I'll take his word for it. Um, what I liked most about this list is it's refreshingly honest. Like he he's open about stuff that some people might not like. Um, and this is a spoiler obviously, but uh, one of the things I did not like about this movie is I felt it really wasted, uh, Thandi Newton, who is a great actress and she's in this movie for like three minutes and then she dies. And I thought that was a huge waste of her talents. And, um, he even says here that, you know, it was probably a mistake to cast her in that role because she's so good. You want more of her and they, you know, she's gone before you even get to know who she is. So I appreciate that he was willing to acknowledge that. Yes, that was a, a dumb move on the part of solo, a star Wars story. Yeah. One of the interesting things about this list is, uh, usually in Hollywood, um, when a film comes out there, there isn't the people involved don't really usually give credit to like, Oh, this came out of this draft from this writer or, you know, like that kind of thing. It's kind of a, I don't know if it's just like the politics of Hollywood. You just don't usually do that, especially when there's problems with the movie. And this list, uh, quite a, quite often gives credit to, you know, Oh, this part of the movie is credited to Lawrence Kasdan who, you know, came up with this thing or, you know, Lord Miller had this great idea for this. So you're actually getting a sense of, you know, where ideas from Ron Howard came in or where, you know, what the original ideas from Lord Miller were, uh, which is, fascinating because i think a lot of people that did not like this movie like to kind of be like you know disney uh neutered it that they uh they ruined it by uh you know uh neutering lord miller's vision and not that we don't know that's the case or not um but it's interesting to hear that some of these things that like a lot of people did not like about the movie like they didn't like chewbacca you know being in that uh how han meets chewbacca um 
that was all Gordon Miller. So there's a bunch of stuff giving credit to Gordon Miller uh, that I think people might be surprised about. Not to say that if they had directed those scenes, it might not have played better or not. But uh, I don't know. I think it's just interesting to see, you know, which ideas are attributed to, you know, which artists. Um, but, uh, yeah, you can read that whole list on uh, SlashFilm.com alongside uh, some new concept art. Uh, Chris, uh, is there any in, anything interesting in this new concept art? Uh, the most interesting thing is there's a, a, a drawing of an Ewok. So there was a, a chance we almost got an Ewok in Solo. But, you know, again, concept art happens very early. It doesn't always reflect what was going to be in the movie. So there's a chance this never got past this stage. But... It would have been cool to have just an Ewok somewhere in in yeah. solo, even for like a brief moment. And I love this piece of concept art because someone's almost like using the Ewok, has the Ewok on a leash, like a dog, like a rabid dog, um, another alien creature. I do know that like there was some set photos like that leaked out early in the production when Lord and Miller were still on the film, and uh, in uh, Dresden's office, uh, or Dr- Dryden. What's this? Dryden Voss. Dryden, yeah. yeah, Dryden Voss. Sorry, I'm not sure why I said Dresden. Uh, in Dryden's office, in one of the cases, the display cases, was orig- originally a uh, skinned and stuffed Ewok. And that was when these uh, set photos leaked on uh, TMZ. But uh, in their finished film that we got from Ron Howard, I think there was like a uh, maybe a uh, a Mandalorian armor in that case or some- something. Um, so yeah, things change all the time. And next up, we're going to enter the spoiler room and talk about the predator. And for that segment, I'm going to bring on slash film weekend editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Okay. Uh, you know, before we get into, uh, into it all, let's say that, uh, major spoilers for the predator coming up because we're going to be talking about the ending. We're going to be talking about a lot of plot points. So you might want to save this, uh, bit, uh, until you've seen the movie this weekend, uh, you know, save this on your, on your iTunes, uh, podcast, uh, app and, uh, you know, come back to it after you've seen the movie because we have a bunch to talk about. Uh, Brad, you saw this movie last night. What did you think? You know, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I was expecting it not to be that great, but I had a lot of fun watching it. Um, I didn't think it was quite uh, as messy as some people had said. It didn't, at least, didn't feel that way to me. Um, it had a nice flow to it. It was nonstop action. I thought the ensemble was great together. Um, there, there were some definitely some uh, questionable CG shots that I think could have been improved. Um, specifically, some close-ups of uh, some of the Ultimate Predator's face. But otherwise, I just I just had a lot of fun watching it. It, it felt like a sh- uh, basically like exactly what I expected from Shane Black directing a Predator movie, and I just I, I had a lot of fun with it. That's really all I can say. So, Chris, when you were on the podcast earlier this week, uh, you know you gave us a one line reaction to the Predator. You called it fun but dumb. Uh, can you expand upon that for us? Yeah, I mean. It- it's a it's a surprisingly funny movie. Like this is more of a comedy than anything else, which I don't think I was fully expecting. Even though I know you know Shane Black is really good at writing you know funny stuff, I wasn't expecting it to be pretty much a straight up comedy. And that's really how I, I thought it played. Um, uh, there's there's stuff I like. A lot of the humor is good. A lot of the humor is also terrible. Like anything involving <laughs> Thomas Jane's character who has Tourette syndrome. 
Um, you know, they keep, you know, like, ha, 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 yes, dress engine. Like, that, it's all really, really bad. I mean, I won't even get into how, how it's offensive because the whole movie is pretty much leading into being offensive. But just the humor is just terrible. It's it's not good at all. And I wish I wish it had just not made it into the film. And I kept, like, waiting. Even though I like Tom Jane, I was like, boy, I hope he dies really soon because I'm getting <laughs> sick of this this running joke here. Um, beyond that, you know... There was stuff, you know, I, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the humor. I enjoyed how um, breezy it is. It's a very fast movie. Like, there's almost no fat on the film. And, you know, some of that is uh, not great. It doesn't work in the film's favor because, you know, you can tell they, they probably cut down a lot of stuff to make it very streamlined and very quick. And so on some levels, I wish there had been a bit more, you know, character development here and there. But on, level other, on the other hand... I liked how quickly the movie moved and I liked how it really did feel like uh, a throwback to films of the eighties. Like this felt a lot like the monster squad to me, not as good as the monster squad, which is a much better movie, but this feels <laughs> a lot like that. And you know, that's appropriate enough because both Shane black and Fred Decker who wrote the monster squad wrote this um, beyond that, the, the ending is atrocious and <laughs> yeah we'll, uh, we'll talk about that in a few yeah, seconds we'll, yeah, the, actually but, the the comedy aspect you're talking about kind of fits in with the idea that it feels like an 80s throwback movie and i think that shane black actually did a really good job of tapping into like kind of bringing back the comedic style and you know politically incorrectness of that decade into this movie which isn't necessarily a wise idea, you know, in this more social, socially conscious time. But I, but I, I do think that the way that he used that sense of humor and tied it to, you know, these soldiers with PTSD, because honestly, that's like how a lot of, you know, army guys do joke around with each other. Like they make inappropriate jokes and they're totally dicks to each other. And I feel like that kind of worked in making those characters feel more authentic in that way. Um, ben and I both gave our reactions on the water cooler episode earlier this week, but uh, to sum it up, I, I thought this movie was a lot of fun until like the midpoint, and then I I felt it came off the rails in a major, major way and got really, really dumb. Uh, ben, can you sum up your thoughts in like a sentence or two? Uh, yeah, pretty much uh, echoing what you and Chris have said. I think the, the back quarter of the movie is um, – like almost a full out disaster, but uh, I, I, there are some things I like about the film. And I think the, as much as I am sort of right there with Chris in, in terms of Thomas Jane's character, I feel like his relationship with uh, Keegan-Michael Key actually worked for me. Like the ending, since we're in full sp uh, spoiler yeah. territory here, the, the ending with those two characters shooting each other, I feel like that is, um, it's one of those moments that should not work and it probably won't work for a lot of people, but for some reason it just worked for me. Like I, I, <laughs> I felt like they did enough, uh, legwork to establish that relationship. And it just seemed like the kind of heightened thing that those two characters would do in this situation in this weird world that they're living in. Um, so I, I appreciated that, but in terms of like, uh, I mean, one thing that, that I think is very obvious is like, it seemed like there were moments that the studio implemented decisions that Shane Black would not have done. Like there, there's a moment specifically where, um, uh, so the, one of the big reveals of the movie is that, uh, Rory McKenna, who's the character played by Jacob Tremblay is actually the one that the ultimate predator is after. Um, we think that it's Quinn McKenna who is Boyd Holbrook's character because he's like the soldier and like one of the big protagonists of the movie, but it's actually the, the, 
ultimate predator is looking for this kid because he's autistic and he is like the next level of human evolution or so the movie explains uh and there's this moment where the audience makes that realization and the super predator or ultimate predator specifically calls out like and says you know this is what i'm this is what i want i want the kid not you and then olivia munn's character has to come on and like basically spell it out again (laughs) right afterwards and it's one of those things where like you just showed you didn't need to also then tell and it was one of those things that that struck me as like oh this is the studio forcing this in just for you know they're playing to the cheap seats basically making sure that every single person in the theater is fully aware of what's (laughs) going on even though it was painfully obvious from the very beginning and like anybody who's ever seen a movie before knew what was going on you know 40 minutes earlier so um i I don't know I'm, i'm very very mixed about this movie yeah, I, I always hate when that happens in a movie, especially when, like, in a movie, they, like, do a, you know, few-second flashback to something that just happened, like, 30 minutes before or something. <laughs> right. It's always frustrating. Um, okay, I, I have some questions for you guys, because there was, there was a lot about this movie that kind of dumbfounded me. Like, I, I, I agree with Brad in some ways that, you know, this movie is, it, it, Brad and Chris, that this movie is the best, like, kind of recapturing those 80s, 90s action movies. But I think it actually recaptures them in both the good and the bad ways. And with the bad, we get a lot of uh, baffling decisions here. Okay, so uh, my first question to you guys is, um, this first predator that comes to Earth is supposedly coming to Earth to bring a gift to help prevent the humans from getting wiped out by the predators, right? Uh, why does he show up on Earth and immediately start killing army pen? I mean, he doesn't show up with the intention of killing, but he's like he, he's there and he's like being restrained, and so he's. I mean, he feels threatened. Oh, you're talking about in the woods before he even yeah. gets restrained? Like, hmm. I don't even think we see him restrained. Don't we see, like, that body, like, hung up before we even <laughs> see the restraint? I don't know. I mean, I'll just add that I think this is the dumbest thing in the movie. So I, I think it was not clearly <laughs> thought out well. Okay. Let me move on to my next question then to you guys. Um, Sterling K. Brown, uh, I, I think this was, like, his worst role in anything ever, by the what? way. But... He's my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> movie he's so good in this movie uh, i don't he, know I, I i wanted a whole movie with just him he was fantastic i can't believe you didn't like it. i, I like him real. normally and i thought he was just he's generic got, villain he's guy so much swagger and he's so he's like such a smart ass he's just he's just like a, he's a cool fucking character okay what happened to him at the end of the movie like at one point he just like disappeared did i miss something no he so he he has the 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 shoulder, like shoulder gun yeah. from predators using and he turns to look at the ultimate predator and the gun is intuitive. And so it shoots his own head off. Yeah. It's very quick. So I can understand if you miss it, but yeah, that is. Wait, so, so he puts the gun on his shoulder and then the gun just shoots his head off for no reason. No, no, no. no. He, he'd already been using it, but because it reacts to your motions and it shoots at whatever you're looking at and you perceive as a threat, the predator was in the line of sight of the gun and his head was between the predator and the gun. So it accidentally shot his own head off. Yeah, he should have swiveled his whole body toward the threat <laughs> right. instead of just turning his head. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it was very quick. Like if you look down for two seconds, you could miss that. So. Yeah, a, fr- a friend of mine even saw it and he was just confused as to what happened because it's so fast. 
Yeah, I was so confused because he like just disappeared all of a sudden. Okay, and in that vein, there was one point in this movie, I think like halfway through this movie, all of a sudden our heroes, the uh, you know, the PTSD the loonies. loonies just show up in these cars. Like one of them's in a police car, one's in an RV, and we we have no idea how they got them. It's never explained or even hinted at. Is it explained? I mean, it doesn't really need to be. They leave his, They leave McKenna's wife's house, and they're trying to just catch up with him and track down their son. So they've each stolen a vehicle to get around town. I think at one point McKenna even says, like, go get some wheels or something, and they just come back yeah, with yeah, those. And it, yeah, it's, uh, you're right. Yeah, after they leave the RV, like they, they tell, he tells them to, like, yeah, go get some wheels. I don't know. I was just so confused when that guy showed up in the police vehicle. Um <laughs> Okay. Peter, did you watch the movie? I, I did watch the movie. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, okay. Let's um, let's get into the timeline of this movie because I'm really confused with this, guys. The movie starts off in Mexico, uh, then it's at a VA hospital in Tennessee, right? And then um, it's at this Georgia motel, which I've done some searching online, and it turns out that. Uh, the hotel is not in Georgia. It's just that all the cars have Georgia tags and the production was too lazy to fix that mistake. Uh, and then suddenly they're at the kid's house uh, on a farm somewhere, where like California somewhere. And then back to Mexico all in 24 to 48 hours. Do they ever say the like the names of those places? I feel like they don't really specify where they are. So yeah. oh, okay, they, well, well, we do know this this pat like at the beginning of the movie takes place in some rural like Mexican village, right? And he sends a package which clears customs, gets sent to the suburban uh, house wherever uh, California, Maryland, whatever it is, goes to a PO box, then gets rerouted to his estranged wife's house <laughs> all before the main character has had a chance to go poop? Um, Peter, I, I feel like you're drilling down on some of these details. Yeah, that, this uh, weird. That, I don't I know. Mean, Everybody I saw the movie with was, like, baffled by this because, like... It, it sounds like you're thinking more about this than everyone who made the movie, honestly. <laughs> yeah, and I normally I'm right there with you in terms of, like, nitpicking because I, I can pick nits with the best of them, but I feel like, especially with you guys just talking about how this movie uh, is sort of a throwback to 80s films, you could do a lot of the same, make a lot of the same uh, logical yeah leaps about a ton of movies that came out in the 80s and 90s so I, I think this is not too far outside of the realm of possibility it, it's just like one of those movie things that has to happen and okay. there's plenty of pa pa plenty of passage of time between him sending the package from from mexico to when we see him again to think that he could have been no you know, he, 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 he says he pooped it out what doesn't he say he pooped the thing out like near the end of the movie like am i am i wrong there Am well, I, I mean, he he does do that, but at the same uh, time, uh, like, unless he like pooped it out earlier and then re ate heard it. Of, have you ever heard of next day air? <laughs> yeah, but next day air goes to the PO box and gets rerouted. To, okay, whatever. I, this, this is, I, I know this is a nitpick, but this it's just I, I'm confused about the timeline here, and I I just don't understand it at all. Okay, how about this how, one, guys? How did the predator get to Earth? No, no. How about this, guys? See, the, the, was there a spaceship or the Predator? Okay, Olivia Munn is left. The Predator uh, flies with a spaceship, uh, or the, the the Predator spaceship flies and crashes far away, 
and somehow she's there 30 seconds later. Who? Olivia Munn? Yeah. Yeah, when she comes out, you know, when she's like, she's got that hero shot where she comes out of the invisibility. Um, I mean, we don't know exactly where that uh, ship flew. Maybe. Especially since it was was swirling and falling, so it could have easily, like, gone back towards where it came from. There's no frame of reference for the distance that it covers. (sighs) Yeah, that's the thing is, like, the geography in a lot of the the movie, I mean, as Peter's just been talking about, is sort of unclear. And maybe it's deliberately so. And especially anything that happens at the end, because we know that there were so many reshoots there. Um, I, I feel like they may have uh, edited the movie to be purposefully vague, so people wouldn't be thinking about stuff like that, but it seems to have had the opposite effect on Peter. Okay, so let me get this clear. The seven-year-old autistic kid, who's a genius, has no problem decoding the alien language, using their interfaces without any like you know instructions. And uh, somehow at the end of the movie ends up at a job at a top secret U.S. alien, like Area 51 base. Again, this is a stupid movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's like he's on the spectrum and like he has savant tendencies. And so he's able to decipher the patterns, things like that, to help him figure out how to use their technology. It's it's not really that big of a leap in logic. You just got to go with it, uh, Peter. It's an, it's an idiotic yeah. film. It's one of the it, that's like yeah, that's a suspension of your disbelief thing. But are we going to talk about how awful the ending is? Yeah, I we... yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. I, I just had one more thing I wanted to say, guys. Um, uh, about this autistic kid, uh, they, they set him up with uh, like him being afraid of these loud noises, and I'm like, oh, that's smart. Like you know, he's this like kind of genius uh, that you know eventually is going to have to, you know have a situation where there's loud noises going on and he's still going to have to like, you know, save the day. And that never comes. Like, what was the setup of the loud noises? I mean, that, that's not really how autism works. Like some people who are on the spectrum. No, I, I, I get that. But like, this is a movie. Like the, right. it, it seemed like, like that was a setup for something. No, no, that's just, that's just how, it was setting up that he is on the spectrum and that he has autism. I was right there with you on that one, Peter. I, I was sure that that was going to come back in some way, and it ended up not. So I wonder if that was one of the things that may have been excised from a, an initial ending. But um, I feel like that creates a problematic depiction of autism because it, it's not like it's something that the, like people that are on the spectrum can easily overcome so just because they're faced with that I mean, situation. You, you bring up a good point, but I don't think anything <laughs> in the rest of this movie indicates that Shane Black has the uh, the has given you know any thought to the the proper depictions of somebody with autism or anybody with any sort of mental health issues. So I, I'm not sure how, how well that argument holds up. Okay. Let, let's get to the ending. Uh, Brad, you wrote this article about the ending. Um, walk us through the ending and what happens. So the very last scene we see is uh, Quinn McKenna, Boyd Holbrook's character and uh, his son, Rory, they've, they've survived. And uh, Quinn has just arrived at this, some high tech, military facility uh and and we find out that his son has been there for some time and so when he goes to see where where his son is at uh they've been working on figuring out how to open this uh device or uh, container that the first predator that arrived on earth in this movie um brought to humans that is apparently supposed to be something to help them defend against any other predators that might come to earth 
And so they're trying to de- de- decipher it, figure out how to open it. They think they've cracked it well, as soon as Quinn gets there. And his son says, uh, it, it's, it says something that basically like a predator killer. And so they open it up and this thing floats out of it. It's, it's some kind of mechanical thing. There's this black goo that's sliding off of it, which um, almost makes you think that it might be a, something xenomorph related and tied to Alien versus Predator. But then all of a sudden it lunges at one of the scientists nearby and latches onto his arm and suddenly encases him in this armor that makes him look like a cross between Predator and War Machine. Uh, all this metal all over him, glowing red eyes, two huge cannons on each sho- shoulder, and just this just huge hulking weapon that they can use. And uh, I, don't, I don't know why, because it's, it's very obvious. One of the scientists said, what the hell is that? And McKenna, he's, uh, he, was, he was like, that's my new suit. He's like, hope it comes in 42 long. And like basically teases like that there's a sequel where they're going to use that suit to kick Predator ass. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, Chris, talk about the ending. What, what, what do you think? It's it's awful. It's so bad. It, <laughs> um, all of it is bad. There's not even a single thing in this ending that's like, oh, that's cool. No, there's nothing that works here. I mean, it, first of all, it's clearly a reshoot because it doesn't fit with the rest of the film at all. I'm pretty sure even like Jacob Tremblay has like a different haircut. It's like really, uh, it doesn't fit. And the whole, like, that's my new suit. just made me die inside (laughs) when he said it. It's just like, ah, just stop it. We don't, (laughs) it, it just, it feels so unnecessary. It feels like, you know, and I could just imagine you're seeing this at a film festival, you know, surrounded by movies of like, you know, great artistic merits. And then you're you're subjected to this ending of the movie. Yeah, uh, it was also it was also at midnight. So it was like two in the morning. I just wanted to leave. And it was just like, all right, enough of this scene, please. I don't. OK. Uh you know, I don't want to see it. Well, if they make a sequel to this movie, I don't want to see a sequel with a human in a predator suit fighting a predator. That's just. Oh, I, I 100% want to see that movie. I want to see that movie balls to the wall, nuts, like fighting a bunch of predators. I, I thought this ending was. I'm, I, I'm cool with pre- humans of- with predator tech, but like, I don't even think you'd be able to tell the difference between them. It would be very hard. No, this was. I, I thought this ending was just perfectly like dumb for the like this movie and i i loved it it was so bonkers and ridiculous that was i just thought it was so cool by the way i'm seeing a lot of reaction online it's kind of like the reaction around uh m night Shyamalan's uh the happening where there a lot of people are theorizing that sheen black purposely made a bad movie Ben, um, I, I don't know about that, but I, I think it, you could easily say that, like we, well, like we've said our, our already, that he made like a throwback kind of movie. I don't know if he like tanked the film on purpose. That doesn't really make a ton of sense unless you start getting into like conspiracy theory territory. Yeah. But uh, yeah, at one point we knew that like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like they wanted him to appear in this movie. Uh, could the original version have had him in the pod? Actually, oh, Brad. Well- it's funny you say that, Peter. <laughs> uh, so we wrote a whole article about what the original ending for this movie was, um, and it, it, ha- it has a similar uh, effect as far as setting up a sequel, but it's not nearly as ridiculous. Um, so it, uh, apparently the original ending, as written by Shane Black and Fred Decker, is that after they uh, Rory and Quinn and Olivia Munn's character, Casey Beckett, have survived the battle with the ultimate predator and defeated it, 
they're still in the middle of the woods. They're kind of catching their breath. All of a sudden, this helicopter shows up out of nowhere and lands nearby. Somebody gets off of it and walks towards them. It's none other than Dutch from the original Predator, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character. And he tells all of them that he wants them to come with him. And Rory, the kid's like, he's like, he's like, uh, me too. And he's like, especially you. Cut to black. So it's still a setup that, you know, Rory's character is kind of this key to like helping them figure out, you know, how to defeat the Predator and that kind of thing. It's not quite as ridiculous because there's no Iron Man Predator suit. Um, but that would have been a cool thing, especially for fans of the original Predator uh, to see, to bring back Arnold Schwarzenegger. But as he said uh, in April of 2017, when he announced that he had turned down a role in the Predator, is the role was too small for him. And he wanted something more significant, so he turned it down, which is kind of a dick move to like try and make a role bigger for him when the movie is not about him anymore. Um, especially since it would have set up a sequel that likely would have involved Schwarzenegger in some way. Um, but you know, there's no saying that they still can't bring him back in some capacity if there if there is a sequel to The Predator. That would have been a better ending. I mean, not that it would have been a good ending, but it would have been a much better ending. I think that the, there's actually an even better and more ridiculous ending that I thought, like, when I was in the middle of watching it and I was waiting to find out what was inside this container, I was like, there's no fucking way this is going to happen. I was like, but holy shit, like, what if it did? Because the the container that this weapon is in is kind of shaped like this futuristic coffin, or like like something that would have held a body. And I thought there was going to be some kind of creature in it, uh, some some kind of drone like they could use to, you know, hunt the predator or something. But then I also thought, I was like, holy shit, what if there's a fucking Terminator in that case? And it's Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> as the Terminator. And then, like, it would it, it would have to exist in an alternate timeline, but it would have been awesome if they if they had this, like, backstory that they eventually explained where Predator the Predators somehow got a hold of Dutch's DNA and used it to create this, like, you know, like, um, and used his DNA somehow to create, like, this Terminator and like this predator sent it, you know, back to the humans to use against them. <laughs> and then we would have had Terminator versus Predator. Okay, you've won. <laughs> ben, what do you think? I mean, uh, that sounds like it definitely would have been ridiculous. I think uh, if there wasn't another Terminator movie already in development, I think there was probably a, a higher likelihood of maybe something like that happening. Um, you know, the, all of the rights are with different studios, so there, there would have had to been some sort of secret agreement to make that happen. But just from a purely, like, uh, artistic level, um, that could have been, yeah, that could have been fun. I think, you know, I, I also thought, thought the same thing, Brad, that there was going to be a body inside that thing because it looks so much like a coffin or at least some sort of container that, that would hold a body. And, uh, I thought that maybe the, the Schwarzenegger thing was just a ruse. Um, his quote about not being in the movie, I was like, holy crap, did they get him anyway? And he's just gonna, you know, like rise up out of this thing as Dutch. And then that ended up not happening either. So, uh, yeah, that was my, my quick flash of a thought before we finally saw the real ending. By the way, guys, I I know I didn't get to this, but I hate this whole alien translator thing, like predator translator. Like I don't want the hu- like the humans created this computer program that can translate what the predators are saying. I don't know. It, it just really bothers me. I don't know why, but it just seems it like, like you had a lot of problems with this one, Peter. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of problems in that last, uh, you know, third of the movie. Uh, Chris, uh, what could have saved this movie for you? 
Oh man, I don't even know. I, I do think the the Dutch ending would definitely have, at least like you know, on a fan service level, had had worked a lot better than what we got here. Um, I mean, I don't think it even needed that. You know, it's like a coda they tack on where it's like, yeah. here's what happened after. Like, I don't think it even it could have just like you know the original Predator. It ends literally. They just you know. Arnold Schwarzenegger and the female character whose name I can't remember, they get on a helicopter and that's it. The movie's yeah. over. Like we don't need an epilogue. I, I, I felt like that really is well, what see, was see, stupid. That's, but that's the difference. Back in the eighties, you could just end the movie right in the climactic moment. Like, you know, in Karate Kid when uh, Daniel, you know, spoilers for the karate kid but when daniel wins the karate tournament it, like the the movie just ends with a like uh a still frame of mr miyagi looking at daniel uh you know having won this tournament like it just like ends suddenly uh I but wonder, i do wonder if there's a different ending that they all that they were going to go with originally uh and end it in the forest there because there's a shot from the trailers where uh, Quinn McKenna, Boyd Holbrook, is looking up at the sky, and there's a line that he said. He says, "He says, come and get us, motherfucker." And it's clearly from the end of the movie because it's it's the it's lighter out, uh, and you can see Rory's jacket like next to him, and so it's it's clearly from the end. And I wonder if there was something different there, that where they kind of just like that the the setup was originally like, you know, maybe there was like a call that was put out from that predator, like calling the other you know, hybrid predators to, to come to earth and that kind of thing. And that was how they set up the sequel instead. Maybe, yeah, maybe that could be, I don't know. I'm, I'm really curious after seeing this movie, what Shane Black's original vision was. So uh, if, if anybody has that script, please send it to me at Peter at slash film.com. I'd love to check it out. Uh, do you guys have any last thoughts? Does anybody want to talk about the horrible CG? Not no. really. I mean, I feel like we've beaten this horse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to it, it seems to me that like Fox was just like second guessing Shane Black at every moment, and you know th- these reshoots happened, and like forcing him to go into post production at the latest possible moment, resulting in this bad CG and uh, mess of uh, an ending. Uh, but that's just what I think. Uh, so that that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. Uh, you can find all of our work on SlashFilm.com. You can find all the uh, stories we've talked about today on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast, Slash Film Daily, on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, please, see, f- please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. We will have a mailbag episode, I think, next week. So if you have any, uh, you know, questions to us about our favorite or least favorite movies and that, that kind of sort of thing, send it there and it'll probably make it on the air. Uh, please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow. Okay, I have one last question for you guys. So they have uh, his son, right, on the spaceship, and uh, they they come in knowing that this predator's coming and start killing off all these government people that could help protect them from the predator. Can anybody explain this to me? No, I cannot. <laughs> to be fair, you don't. They don't know that the predator's coming to kill them because he, up until that point, he hasn't killed any humans. 
He's he's what? after he first he's after the fugitive predator and then he's after destroying the device. He hasn't killed any human. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think any of these people are distinguishing between the mega predator and the regular predator. I think they just think those predators are coming to kill humans. I don't know. I also think they're, you know, they're 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 escaped like convicts basically. So they're not really eager to get along with anyone. I, I feel like they're just they're they're interested interested in like self like survival and little else. Like, I don't think they care about but, these other characters. But I think for survival you'd want to have as many people there to yeah, but they're also they're called the loonies, so they're crazy. So <laughs> yeah. I don't think they're like thinking reasonably. Yeah, plus, I think plus, that's probably the plus the Sterling true Brown's answer. character already made it very clear that he did not want to work with them, and he tried to kill them all. <sighs> Guys, I didn't like the ending of this movie. <laughs> no kidding. 